0: It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today's topic is about something I feel like is best referred to as the ick factor, I-C-K, that icky feeling that I get and perhaps you also get when you see something that doesn't make you feel good on some level. This is something that I really noticed over the past few weeks, especially as I was going through email newsletters I was subscribed to. I... feel like this is such a relatable thing, which is accumulating emails and not being in the mood to read them when they arrive in your inbox. And then next thing you know, months, maybe even years have gone by and you've never read them. Now, depending on your personality type, you may just delete them all or mark them all as read. Or maybe you'll just let them accumulate in your inbox and not worry about it until they either start to drive you crazy or you get a message that You don't have any space left in your email inbox. For me, the last maybe five plus years, I don't know exactly, maybe 10, I have this practice of usually either at the end of a year or the beginning of a new year, I'll go through and mark and organize all my emails. And this can be quite an undertaking because I have one email inbox that I typically use to sign up for newsletters, and that one, now has around, I think, 30,000 unread emails. And that's been over the course of many years. So I guess I have not organized it in a few years. Maybe that goes back to like 2018, 2019. And for some people, it's really daunting. For me, it is at times, but then there are moments where my brain gets really stimulated by this process of organizing. And also kind of like this fear of missing out on information. Does that ever come up for you? Where... Maybe you find yourself reading a newspaper or a website, a blog, a social media page, something because you don't want to miss out. And wow, I probably could do a whole new separate episode just on that because I tend to read a lot of newsletters simply out of the fear of missing out on some information. For example, I am subscribed to a few that are about daily events, current news, current events is the other term for that. (laughs) And almost always glance over just to make sure that I'm in the know. I don't like feeling out of the loop on things. And perhaps it's also why I like to use TikTok because it's full of current events, sometimes literally things on there I'm hearing about before anywhere else. And I really enjoy that. I really like the feeling of being informed. But that ties into this ick factor because along with being informed, there have been times where I will consume information, even if it doesn't make me feel good. And there have been different levels of this, right? One level would be consuming gossip, uh, celebrity news, for example, where I don't generally feel that good about that. I don't want to hear who's being canceled or who is got some drama. I find myself sucked into information about the Kardashians are the perfect example. There seems to always be something going on with them and it's also seems like that's how they make money. They get everyone so wrapped up in their lives and even people like me who don't feel that invested in the Kardashians, I'm still curious. And it's fascinating when you step back and examine how we can be easily manipulated by the media to care about things that we actually don't care about this could be going on Facebook. I'm not someone who currently does this, but maybe every once in a while, I'll find myself looking up something about someone's life and just finding myself drawn into the nuances of who they are, like what's going on with their love life or their kids or their success, or you'll know, you come across somebody and it'll hit you. Or maybe let me make it about me in this moment. I don't want to assume you do this too. But for me, I'll see a glimmer into someone's life and suddenly be drawn in even though I haven't really thought about them in a long time, right? And I know other people feel this way too. I've seen TikTok videos of others confessing that they'll go down this rabbit hole and want to know everything about someone's life. And that also leads me to this recent thought I've had about how in the future... I think we'll actually be taking pride in the less amount of information we share about ourselves versus the last 10 or so years. A lot of people overshare. So they're telling everything about themselves, myself included. I mean, I go back and especially over three years ago, I used to share everything on my YouTube channels and on my Instagram. And now I barely ever share. The podcast is really where I share the most. And it's just fascinating how I'll see other people on Facebook just sharing every little thing. In fact, today I saw this woman that I'm just an acquaintance with, and it seemed like she was just posting to post. Like she didn't really have a major point. There was nothing like big to celebrate. She just wanted to share a bunch of photos of her life and say hello to her Facebook followers and friends. And that's fine. But it, I think that there's so much oversharing that can also lead to information overload. So it starts to feel impossible to keep up. And then maybe this anxiety creeps up on us where we feel like we can never keep up and we're always missing out on something. And I get so overwhelmed with that, I completely shut down. Even talking about that makes me feel overwhelmed. But going back to the email newsletters, there was something very specific I felt there in terms of this ick factor. I need to go back a bit in time to explain the evolution of this for me. And I would be curious if you have had a similar evolution in that probably about 2015 or so, maybe 2016, I was really into the entrepreneurial space. I was really concerned with and committed to making a lot of money. In fact, I found this journal entry of mine from late 2017, maybe early 2018, where I was like planning out what my financial goals were, and they were pretty high. I feel so disconnected from that goal. I haven't thought about that goal in a long time. I don't even want that goal anymore. But back then, which is about four years ago, I just really wanted to make this huge amount of money. So I was following a lot of online entrepreneurs to figure out what they were doing to make that amount of money. There were a number of people who would share their income reports And you could see them break down how much they were making. And there were times I would look at this and think, oh, I can do that too. If they can do it, I can do it. I just need to follow them and figure it out. I need to take their courses. There were also times I would look at their income reports and think, wow, like I'm doing some of the same things that they're doing, but not getting the same results. And this has come up a number of times in the podcast, this failure feeling And that could be really discouraging. But nevertheless, I would do my best to figure out how to make it work for me. Jason and I actually, in an episode, perhaps it was with Jason and Caroline Zuck, who are some really great business coaches who do not fall into the ick factor for me at all. In that episode with them, which I'll link to in the show notes for this episode, if you're curious, at wellevator.com, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. I believe it was in that episode that Jason and I alluded to this program we took that really gave me the ick factor over time and now majorly, and I'm going to get into my definition of what I mean because I don't think I've been super clear, but to work my way up to that in this evolution, I think I took that program with Jason in 2019 or 2020, probably 2019, because I think this is before COVID. And it did not go that well. It was this, I'm not going to name names. I don't think we did in that episode with Jason and Caroline either. But Jason Robel specifically, he and I took it, not to be confused with Jason Zook. He and I took this program because we really wanted to make a lot of money from Wellevator we wanted to feel successful we wanted to be these big entrepreneurs and i was drawn into this one person i'd been following for many years who said that he had this formula and if you took his one year long online course and program it was guaranteed virtually i think he might have even used the word guarantee although spoiler alert i did not get the results that he promised and i did not get my money back i didn't really ask for it but i did explain that i didn't get the results and It really gave me the ick factor because this course leader did not seem to care that I was not getting the results that I thought I was going to. And it was a significant investment. I remember the day that Jason and I signed up for that course, we actually got into a fight because it was a lot of money and he was scared, but he trusted me and we both put it on our credit cards and paid for this course. And it felt really good at times. It actually felt helpful. I did learn a lot, but it barely increased our income. I don't even know if any of our income was directly related to that course. It did help us think about things differently. We changed some of the elements of Wellevator and worked on some things. So it certainly gave benefits. But the ick factor came from the fact that I was so passionate about doing something and found this person online who I thought I could trust. I invested a ton of time and money into this person and didn't get the results that they promised. And then they didn't even care that I didn't get those results, or at least they didn't indicate that they cared. And thinking back on it, I feel this pit in my stomach, which I am associating with this ick factor phrase of, wow, that did not feel good that makes me feel uncomfortable. That makes me feel disappointed and frustrated and resentful and all those icky feelings. And when I look back over these newsletters that I've going through, tens of thousands of them, I think maybe a huge reason they have gone unread is because they made me feel icky. That and or I signed up for these newsletters many years ago when I was literally a different person and a different state of mind, a different phase of my life. So they don't align with who I am right now in January, 2022. And that's okay too. We will go through these shifts in our lives and we will be different. We will change and we will not be in alignment with things that we liked, maybe even a shorter terms ago, right? I have certainly gone through a lot of shifts in just the past few months there's constant transition in our life. And the reason I wanted to do an episode about this is I think it's so important for us to pay attention to our gut feelings because it took me a while to get here where I could even identify that ick factor. For so long, I didn't feel like I was justified in those icky feelings. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I needed to ignore that gut feeling and that icky feeling and persist. I thought that I, maybe ultimately there was something wrong with me, but the person must be right because they had a lot of followers, because they were making a lot of money, because it looked like they were doing everything right and on paper, I should trust them or I should like them. But when I was going through these newsletters, I could tell the instant I saw who it was from that I did not align with them anymore. I even now as I talk about it and I'm thinking back into those feelings, I get like a dry mouth and it's like a cotton mouth type of feeling where for no other reason besides the discomfort of the emotion, my body is physically reacting to it. And that's like the pit in my stomach, almost like a butterfly, almost like that feeling that you get when you're on a roller coaster, you know, and you go over that first big drop or even on the way up before you hit that drop, you have that uncomfortable feeling and you don't get the adrenaline rush of a roller coaster in these instances. It's just the drop. It's just like unpleasant with no end and yet continuing on in some cases. Because you're second guessing yourself and your own reaction. And I'm curious if you feel this too. I wish that there were more or a way. Well, there is a way actually. I don't know if the platform I use Zencaster will have a live feature. I'm going to suggest that to them. They're sponsoring the show right now. And that's probably the only thing Zencaster is missing from their recording capabilities is going live because I would just love to hear if you could align with some of these emotions and we could have a conversation. But you can always email me or message me on social media, either at at Wellevator, which is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, or at Whit W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. If you cannot remember how to spell that, just (laughs) go to the show notes of this episode at Wellevator.com and you'll find the links to social media and my email. I would really love to know Do you second guess yourself when you feel icky or get a bad feeling about someone? Do you brush it off? I did for so long. And I think it's such a great example of how there are uncomfortable experiences that we actually need to lean into or lean away from, right? Like When you feel uncomfortable, you have to really tune in and decide for yourself, is this discomfort important? And why is it important? Is it fleeting? Is it a signal? Is it a sign? Usually it is. And it might be in a minor way or a major way. And sometimes we need to push through the discomfort and keep going. And I think that I have a tendency to do that. But in this case... I don't think I should keep going. I think if somebody who I'm not committed to in any way is giving me an icky feeling, I should pay attention to them and probably unfollow. Unsubscribe from their newsletter, unfollow them from social media, stop paying attention to their work, and also stop comparing myself to them. Stop thinking that they're the measuring stick for my life. When I look back, there are specific people that come to mind who I followed because I really wanted to be like them. I wanted to model myself after them. I just thought that they were doing everything right. And I really did put in a lot of effort to try to be like them. And like I said, did not get those results. And now I'm okay with that. If I had known back in 2017, maybe 2016, going back maybe even further that I've been thinking like this, If I could take my present self and somehow bring it back in the past and say, hey, in however many years from now, you're not going to care that you don't make that much money. (laughs) Like that money does not matter. And I'm not saying that money doesn't matter. I think money is very important. In fact, behind the scenes for me this year, well, first of all, last year in 2021, my big financial goal was to pay off my credit card debt. And I did. That feels. Absolutely amazing. I had a lot of credit card debt. It's all relative. So I won't share the number, but what a lot means in your head, like just picture that's my number because relative to you, whatever feels like a lot, that could be your number, right? Imagine just paying that off in a year. It was challenging and it felt so good to be done with it. I actually think I'll officially be done maybe today or tomorrow, because my last payment was on December 30th and it took a few weeks for the interest to kick in and then for me to pay off the interest because I used a credit payoff system where you pay your bill twice a month and you split it up and do one payment three days before your credit card due date and 15 days before your credit card due date. And some people believe that to be a great way to raise your credit score. And wow, my credit score skyrocketed. I don't know if it was just because of that method or it was because I paid off so much money, but now I have a phenomenal credit score and no credit card debt. So that feels really good. This is what I mean. Money does matter to me and it matters to each person in different ways. This year, my financial goals are to save money, And to specifically start a retirement plan and really focus on it, I have had a 401k for, let's see, 10 years, maybe more, maybe a little bit more from one of my jobs working for Apple. That's awesome. I also have had stock investments in companies like Apple for over 10 years now. And those are part of my retirement plan and long-term savings. But I haven't been as diligent about it In a very long time, it has been like way on the back burner, probably because of my credit card debt and other financial decisions. So I outlined a whole plan for myself to start saving for retirement more intentionally, start investing my money in the stock market and cryptocurrency and also to put aside savings for all different phases of my life. So this is completely a side note, but worth mentioning since money is a big part of the ick factor for me. I opened up a high-yield savings account last year. I don't remember when that was exactly, but I did a bunch of research, opened it up. It was easy. High-yield is very relative, so it's not a lot of money, but it was more than my savings account that I have with my regular bank. And regular bank is not quite the right term. My main bank, I should say. And then what's really neat about this particular savings account is that it allowed me to create buckets So I could divide up my savings into different categories. And (laughs) as I said before, I like organizing things and I like numbers in general. So I came up with 10 different categories that were important to me. And I started putting my money into different buckets. And then I created a whole system to transfer money from my checking account to this high yield savings account every month. And it was a lot of work and a lot of planning and thinking about what was important to me. But when I started looking at the projections of how much money I could save this year for those various buckets, next year also, my savings plan is the two year savings plan for each bucket. And then my long term, like next 30 year plan for my retirement and 30 plus years, actually, it might have been like 35 or 37 years that I was projecting in to approximately when I'd like to retire. And it started to get really exciting. It completely reframed how I was looking at money. And this is important. So going back to this main subject of ick factor, the number that I was aiming for annually was so much, so much relative to what my income has been for the past few years. And I don't think it's fully out of reach, but the things that I probably would have had to do to get to that number were not things that felt in alignment for me. And I think that's why I never got there. It involved a lot of hustling. And actually, I wrote up a bunch of examples of what gives me the ick factor. And I'm going to share that in a moment. But when I tuned into all of these things that these people were encouraging me to do through their newsletters and their social media and their programs, I just didn't feel good about it. And there was this ongoing feeling and pressure of like, well, If you don't do it our way, like you're not going to get the results that we got. And that just like rubbed me the wrong way and gave me that icky feeling. But in contrast, the plan that I made for myself for the next two years and the next 35 plus years, that feels good. That actually feels completely achievable. That feels in alignment with my values. That feels like it makes sense for my work abilities and my work preferences and my work choices, like preferences and choices, I suppose are the same thing. But anyways, it just felt better. And it gave me the opposite of the ick factor. And that's so important. So I'm about to get into all these examples, but I've already given you the main takeaway for this episode, which is tune into yourself and really notice what makes you feel happy like I do. When I'm talking about my savings account, I light up. I could talk about that on and on. I just love it. And money and finances actually do give me a lot of those positive feelings. As I mentioned, I'm a numbers person and I think that's part of it. Numbers in general tend to make me feel really good when they're going in my favor. When they're not going in my favor... I don't feel that great. Uh, I am still interested in, I like analytics, I like tracking and I like just organizing, like I mentioned. And my mother actually used to work in the banking industry. So we have that in common. I don't know if that's a genetic thing or what, but there are elements of that that bring me joy. But the things that don't bring me joy are the comparison type of numbers. Like just thinking about all sorts. Actually, I wrote up a list a while ago. I don't know if I can easily pull this up, When I first started working on my program, Beyond Measure, which if you don't know about it yet, I have this online community that I've been developing for coming up on two years. I actually started thinking about it in early 2020, and it launched as a beta test in June 2020. So it's been about a year and a half. And the beta test has been this invite-only group of people that I meet through places like Instagram and this podcast And we come together every week to support each other. And the big aim is to have a safe space of like-minded people who talk about things like finances. In fact, we rotate through different subjects and I can pull those up right off the top of my head or my notes, I should say. We rotate through different elements of self-care. We rotate through financial discussions. So that could be anything from saving money to investing to cryptocurrency and budgeting and all of that. And then we also have sessions about accountability and getting things done. We have creative sessions where everyone gets creative projects. And then a few times a year, we get together and cook together or prepare a meal together. And that's actually coming up in a few weeks. So if you ever listen to this episode and hear me talk about, I mean, any episode where I'm talking about Beyond Measure, all you have to do is send me a message. And you can come check it out. You can join one of the calls. We have a whole online space. One thing that I love about Beyond Measure is that it is not on social media. And that comes into the whole ethos of Beyond Measure, which is not to compare yourself to people. It's not to be on social media and feel distracted. It's not about looking at people's work. Like everybody can really curate their profiles to either say as much or as little about themselves as they would like. And it's just a very feel-good space. So I truly mean it when I say, just send me a message. I've been working on having a more public uh, place where you can learn more about it and then reach out to me if you're interested. But I haven't gotten there yet. It's just all very manual. But in my notes for developing Beyond Measure, I made this list and it was about all the different ways that we tend to measure ourselves against others. A few off the top of my head while I'm searching for this are age. This is something I've seen on TikTok a lot recently, and it's been older women and gosh, even saying the term older, like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Why do we say older as if it represents a specific number? Older could be anything. There's always someone older than us and younger than us. Why is older like even I associate it with like, Women older than me, which I guess makes sense. But, anyways, I don't know. The term older, I feel like, has a lot of negative connotations. And that's exactly what these women were talking about. They were around 50 and talking about how it was so uncomfortable for them to see younger women in their 20s and 30s working so hard to not, quote, get old. And of course, you can't stop yourself from getting old as long as you're alive, but mostly around trying to control the way their body shows age. And it just breaks my heart that we measure ourselves and our worth in general. You know, this is a big, like, let's just say assumption, generality, that there's so much pressure around age. And I just find that really sad. So beyond measure, one of the elements is is like not focusing on your age. Everybody is welcome there to just be accepted as who they are and not judged for how old they are. Another thing is, of course, social media following size. And this whole like, I'm better than you or somebody else is better or worse than you based on how many followers or friends that they have, right? The focus on your body size, your weight. Are you better or worse than somebody because of, how much you weigh, or even how tall you are, which is so bizarre. Another thing that I'm so perplexed by is on dating apps, when somebody says, I would never date someone who's below whatever measurement. And listen, I get that. But I've also dated men that are shorter than me. I've dated men that are my height. And on a dating app, I might say, I'd like them to be at least two inches taller than me. But when I look back over the men that I've dated, my feelings towards them were not based on their height. They also weren't based on their age. They weren't based on their body weight. You know, I can see why we might feel some of these preferences. But in the reality, most things in life are not about these measurements. Maybe on paper, somebody looks more attractive because of their age, their weight, their height, their social media following, and also, of course, how much money they make. Maybe all those things seem to make this person better in our minds, but we all know what it's like to deeply love someone and not care at all about any of those factors. Truly, if we can just go back to that feeling, it helps ground me, especially, I'm curious if you feel the same way, of feeling grounded in what really matters in life. And that's the big message with Beyond Measure. And also, coming back to the ick factor, I was trying to find my list, but I think that is a good general list of measurements, age, weight, height, money, social media. Let's call it the top five things that seem to be important. Those generally trigger me to feel icky. Now let me go over to my actual list of ick factor things because I gave a lot of thought to this. (laughs) I was really digging in and taking note of what made me feel icky. Now, I also want to say that nothing I say in this episode moving forward in the past of what I've already said and truly in any episode is meant to be judgmental. That is certainly not my intention. I never want someone to feel ashamed or like there's something wrong with them. These are truly just my personal preferences. And I'm going to be really mindful because I can get fired up when I feel icky. You know, when I don't like something, I can probably come across as judgmental. (laughs) So I'm trying not to because judgment is actually an ick factor for me. When I feel judged, when I feel shamed, as I've talked about many times, that makes me feel icky. And I do not want you or any other listener to feel icky. Getting into something I've already alluded to which is the superficial side or when something comes across as performative or clickbaity to me. One example is in the newsletter world. I want to share a little behind the scenes for any of you who have not studied online marketing, (laughs) which has been my world for many years. I have been in social media since 2008. I started coaching people on social media in either 2008 or 2010. And then I've been helping out with marketing for all different companies, small business owners. I still do this. I love it, actually. I'm fascinated by marketing. I'm curious about systems and like I said, money. But along with that, there's a lot of things in that marketing world that don't feel good to me. And one thing is when people are too formulaic. And so this clickbait thing that really... Rose to popularity probably in 2015 or 16, especially on platforms like YouTube. We were encouraged, and I say we as in anyone who was on YouTube at that time, we were encouraged to write our YouTube titles to be fairly clickbaity. The perfect example is the phrase, I've never done this before. And if you go back to many of my YouTube videos, you will see phrases like that because I was being trained. Sometimes literally, because I was in many training programs over the years, but also trained by watching other people, and that uh way of getting people's attention still happens today in twenty twenty two of course, maybe not as much, but you will see this a lot in newsletters, and also you may catch me doing this. I'm not saying that I don't do this at all, but when I see other people do this, I get the ick factor, <laughs> and so. What I'm trying to practice is if something makes me feel icky that somebody else is doing, I need to examine, am I doing that too? It's also important to remember that just because I get the ick factor from something, that doesn't mean that others will. Like, for example, you may see the phrase, I've never done this before and think, huh, I'm curious about that. What does that mean? And when you realize that it's clickbait, it may not bother you. For me, though, when I see that, it does not make me want to click. It makes me want to (laughs) unsubscribe. Okay, so I try to keep that in mind whenever I'm writing. On the early side of launching this show, Jason and I came across this article about the word wellness. And I think we might've done an episode on this in the first year of this show about issues with the word wellness. And I remember there being some racial issues. I remember the article talking about how so many white women specifically white women in their 20s, in their 30s. So people my age, my race and gender, basically me, (laughs) using the word wellness in a way that was benefiting them perhaps and perpetuating ideas around health and wellness that actually weren't rooted in well-being. And I started using the phrase well-being very intentionally after reading that article. If I can find it, I will include it in the show notes for this episode. I now rarely use the word wellness because of that article's point, which was that it started to dilute the value of it. And one of the ways that I feel, and the person writing that article felt at the time at least, was that there was so much of, putting the pressure on the individual to change and view themselves as not good enough. And an example of that is the phrase, how to get out of your own way. I no longer resonate with that phrase. And not in this moment, specifically, I do not resonate with it. I may change my mind in the future. And that's what's important about this too, right? But right now, that phrase doesn't resonate with me because I perceive that as saying, you're in the way. You're not good enough. You're not doing it right. And that phrase, not doing it right, really triggers me because who makes the rules about what's right? Why do we perceive ourselves as being in our own way? I think that's actually unhealthy and unwell way of perceiving yourself in the world. It is saying that you are fully in charge and in control. What that phrase does not take into account is. All the external factors. The more that I learn around racism specifically, the more I'm humbled by the fact that just because I'm able to, quote, get out of my own way doesn't mean that another person is based on many factors. One of them may be that they're not white, right? Like the privilege that I have as a white person, I need to be very mindful of how I phrase things. And if I say, you're in your own way, that is not taking into account my whiteness and their lack of whiteness, if that makes sense. And it's hard for me to phrase these things because I'm still learning how to talk about this. I'm still feeling like a lot of ignorance and I am trying to articulate it the best that I can. Just don't think it is fair of somebody else to tell you that you're in your own way. Sometimes we need accountability. In fact, I think that's incredibly helpful to have someone reflect back to us something that's important to us, a goal that we're working towards, a habit we're trying to build. Accountability has been shown and maybe some ways proven through a lot of studies to be a very effective thing. However, Accountability needs to take into consideration a lot of different factors about the individual. And the ick factor I often feel is when it's advice is too general. And if I remember correctly, this article about wellness was touching upon this, how a lot of young white women, and by young, I mean women between the ages of eighteen to forty how our culture defines youth. (laughs) or I mean, I guess even uh, certain ranges, maybe even younger. But anyways, that to me in my head, I think of women between the ages of 18 to 40 who are white, who have dominated wellness, and how they have talked about things like how to get out of your own way. Feels like they have blinders on. And myself too. This is where I had to check myself. This is where I had to pause and think about how I was phrasing things. Because I certainly have said either that exact phrase or something very similar because I was buying into a lot of the capitalistic viewpoints on wellness and a lot of the privileged viewpoints on wellness. An example of how somebody else may feel discouraged by that is if you say, you need to get out of your own way and work harder. Well, maybe your version of working hard is very different than somebody's. In fact, mine, my personal challenge with that is because of my brain being in many ways neurodiverse. Is that the term? For some reason, I can't even think of it. Not neurotypical, the opposite of it. Divergent, is that the term? Gosh, you know, sometimes you a familiar phrase or word does not make sense to you in the moment, that's what's happening to me right now. (laughs) I have uncovered a lot of things about my brain that helps me understand why I struggle to get things done on the same timeline as others. And I felt a lot of guilt and shame when I couldn't meet deadlines or I would do things at the 11th hour, or I would just not be able to follow through on something. I would feel awful about that. And somebody could look at me and say, well, you're just in your own way, Whitney. And I used to look at myself in that lens. But the more I learned about my brain, which I'm continuing to learn about every single day and feel surprised, the more I thought, no, you know what? It's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of wanting. I don't think I'm in my own way. I think that society sometimes places pressure on me to show up in ways that does not work for me. And when other people, when individuals promote that messaging, it contributes to that perpetuating. And the more I learn about all different types of people, their circumstances, how their brains work, what is going on for them, the more compassion I have, and the less I want to say that they need to get out of their own way. I hope that I've been able to articulate that with some clarity. Similarly, there's this one person in particular who I counted 650 unread emails from. It to me because I used to think this person was like the be all end all. I would get their emails years ago and be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read their latest blog post. What advice are they going to give me today? Well, literally today in 2022, looking back on their emails, I got the ick factor because they would write things like the top 10 things everyone should do before 8am. Jason and I did a whole episode with a guest about the word should. (laughs) So I highly recommend it. If you want to understand how it is, oftentimes hurtful for us to use the word should. Now, when I see the word should, and even when I find myself accidentally saying the word should, I pause and try to rephrase it and then I pause and examine other people's use of it. It does not resonate with me because like I just said, I don't believe anyone should do something. Who are we to tell someone what they should or shouldn't do, unless we are in a direct position of Partnership with them or perhaps leadership over them. If that person is asking us for guidance directly, perhaps then the word should would be helpful. But even so, I'm, I hesitate to use it, right? But this idea of everyone should do these things before 8 a.m. Ugh, no. And even the time 8 a.m., I have learned to stand strong and admit and feel maybe even proud or clear of that I am not somebody who gets up before 8 a.m. The exception is when I am traveling. (laughs) I will do it then. Road trips, for example, I got up around 6.30 a.m., I did not enjoy it at the time, but by 7, 7.30, I was in my groove and it made sense because I got to watch the sunrise. You know, I got to enjoy the national park that I was in. That's a very different story. But most times of the year, I do not get up that early. Actually, I tend to get up at the earliest at 9.30. So to read someone saying that I should do X amount of things before I'm comfortable getting up And I use the phrase comfort strongly and intentionally here because that going back to something I said earlier, I am clear that I do not thrive before 10 a.m. Pacific time. I just don't. I've tried. I've read these blog posts, these newsletters, social media, and man, have I tried to be someone who consistently will wake up before 8 a.m. And then I realized this does not make me feel comfortable in a way that I want to feel comfortable. Does that make sense? That may change. Maybe my body will change. Maybe my brain will change. Maybe my circumstances will change. And I will one day be someone who comfortably, happily gets up before 8 a.m. But for now, I don't want someone telling me that I should do certain things before 8 a.m. Doesn't feel good. Not going to read it. Another phrase I think the same person wrote is, This will make you unstoppable. And I call BS on that, honestly. First of all, unstoppable. What does that even mean? Why do we need to be unstoppable? If you really break that down, it is complete hustle culture. What's wrong with stopping? Another great episode to go back to, who I will continue to reference in many episodes, is the episode with Celeste Headley and her book, Do Nothing. Wow, did that book shape so much of my life. I've talked, referenced her recently. She's got a new book about racism. I mean, love, love, love her. And in that episode, she talks about our addiction to productivity and efficiency. And in fact, another example from that same person is how to be 100 times more productive. What? 100 times? No, I am lucky if I'm 10 times more productive. Like, seriously, who needs to be that productive? Why do we need to live in a world where we feel like we have to be unstoppable? No, for me, does not resonate. Not interested in that anymore. Unsubscribe. Oh gosh, another example that taps into hustle culture that does not make me feel good is as I was going through my newsletters, since some of them were two to four years old and still hadn't been read, I found a bunch from the beginning of COVID, so March 2020, at least in the US. I also want to acknowledge that COVID-19 had its roots perhaps way before, I think even it's called COVID-19 because they discovered it in 2019, right? So to say that March 2020 was the beginning is not really accurate, but that's what the time that it started to have a massive shift across the world. And I have a bunch of emails from that time of people trying to pressure others to hustle during lockdown. One example was how to market yourself when the world melts down. That gives me the ick factor. Because why are we trying to sell to people when the world is melting down? That's just complete capitalism in the worst way to me. That we're trying to make money off of somebody who's suffering. We're trying to make money off of people's misery and sadness and struggles. And sometimes people want help, right? If you need to go buy a mask to go out to the grocery store, it makes sense that you want to market your masks to them properly so they understand why your face mask is more beneficial than somebody else's or as beneficial, right? That makes sense. But the context of this particular email, if I remember correctly, was about like how to sell your online program to someone. Now, I do want to note to you in full transparency that I was running an online program at that point. I think it was in February 2020, my friend Allison and I were developing a Podcasting and social media online course. And all of it coincided with the beginning of COVID in the US. And I remember we used to get together in person to work on this course together, and lockdown happened and we weren't able to see each other comfortably, at least. I remember us having this conversation like, should we be promoting an online course? And we ultimately decided to move forward with it in the best way that we knew how at the time. Because we felt like, actually, there are people who may finally feel like they have the space in their day to focus on podcasting and social media. And those are the people that we wanted to support. So while I have some mixed feelings about that decision, it made sense to me at the time. And I can see why those phrases were being used. There was another person who I used to really love studying from who said, if you're not taking advantage of the extra time you have during lockdown, you're missing out on an opportunity to improve your business or you're not working hard enough or you don't want it hard enough. And man, did that rub me the wrong way because I felt like, again, weren't being encouraged to rest. I don't know about you. But I've said this before and just a few weeks ago in one of the episodes, how I feel guilty about the fact that I enjoyed elements of the lockdown because I was so drained at the beginning of 2020. I did not understand why I felt so burnt out. All I wanted was permission to rest. And I felt like I finally got it. I just wanted to lay around and play Animal Crossing on my Nintendo Switch and watch Tiger King on Netflix and whatever else was on at the time. Like It was awesome, you know, in a weird way. But because it felt like the world was melting down. But I was so thrilled to rest and get permission from the external world to rest. I did not need permission to hustle more. I did not need encouragement to hustle more. I needed the exact opposite. And I think many people did. I felt like it was our big awakening to how much many of us needed rest to take care of ourselves. So it makes me feel icky that other people were trying to push people towards the opposite direction of what they might have needed, right? Also, I found, <laughs> this is just a side note that I found funny was I found an email that said, I think as a subject line. I have a feeling that 2020 is going to be your year. It's just amusing because I'm sure that email was sent out in January 2020, right? And if you look back, just like any other year as I'm doing right now in January 2022, like you're hoping that it's going to be the great year. But what does the phrase your year even mean? Why can't every year be your year? It is literally your year. But also we have to remember that the year is not about us as individuals on many levels, right? The year belongs to everybody. And this is why some of these phrasings like your year, I think that mentality can lead us to not being as compassionate as we could be. If we're so self-focused, we may trample over others. How can we put on the oxygen mask, as they say, before ourselves first to take care of ourselves so that we can actually help others, not so we can ignore others, not so we can take away from others, but also recognizing that we have no idea what's coming down the pipeline. So this phrase, I have a feeling that 2020 is going to be your year. Maybe for some people it was. It's not like everyone was struggling and miserable during 2020 on every level. I think some people did Have a great year. We have to acknowledge that not everybody did. And we also have to acknowledge that every year, every moment in our lives is important and valuable. It's not just about the beginning of the year, as I said a few weeks ago. Gosh, I have a ton more notes here, but I feel like, well, I've been talking for almost an hour. So let me just share a few more and then maybe I can do a part two based on your reactions. I said earlier how when I read that article about wellness, It really gave me a lot of pause. And then as I started to learn more about racism and acknowledging my own racism and working on being a better ally and being anti-racist and everything that I have learned in the past year and a half since June 2020, when I really dug into all of this, I actually started to feel really uncomfortable seeing marketing that was driven by white people. I still do especially when it's young. And again, to clarify, young being people in their 20s, specifically, or early 30s, or people that looked like they were in their 20s. I feel uncomfortable around not seeing diversity represented in imagery. I also feel uncomfortable when body size is not represented. So specifically seeing women in their 20s and 30s that are white with perfect hair and makeup, Who fit the beauty standard in terms of their facial features, in terms of their body size, who are smiling, looking like they're having the time of their life and wearing really nice clothing and posing in a beautiful place, whether that's a perfect looking home or a fancy building or a upscale area those things started to make me feel uncomfortable because I felt like they were not inclusive of people who did not fit that mold. And inclusivity started to really matter for me. The more and more I learned about racism and seeing things that were not inclusive being pointed out through my research, I started to also notice how many people did not seem to be inclusive in their marketing. Now. A lot of people did. And there's been a huge shift relatively in marketing. Some of it may be performative. Gives me an ick factor sometimes when I see it. It's sometimes hard to tell, but other times you can get this intuitive hit when something's being performative. But it also strikes me on this level of my own reactions, how I deep down just want to be accepted period. (laughs) I don't want to be rejected because of the way I do my hair, of the way I choose to do my makeup or not, of the clothing that I wear, of the way my home looks, of the people I'm with, of my body size, of the environment that I'm in, all of these superficial things. So when I see white women like myself promoting their youthfulness, promoting their beauty, Promoting their privilege, promoting their money, promoting all of these things that I find to be superficial. That gives me the ick factor because I want to see women that don't fit into that mold. I want to see people of all genders and non gender represented. That I feel so driven towards to the fact that I am so much more excited to see anyone but another white woman around my age, unless she is not wearing any makeup. I love that. Unless she is not dying her hair to get rid of her gray hair. I love that. Unless she's just wearing whatever clothes that she's wearing and not trying to look fancy. Unless she's in a messy home. Unless she's got a body over the size of four, six, or eight, or whatever the current beauty standard is. If she's outside of that mold, it doesn't matter that she's white and a female, like, or female presenting. Like, I'm excited to see anything out of that common beauty standard, if that makes sense. I find myself on social media feeling so icky. It's not even race. I would say it's so much more gender for me, like women or female presenting that just seem like they're editing their photos or posing a certain way to look a certain way. You know, I used to do all those things, too. It doesn't feel good to me anymore because I feel like it just promotes this message that you have to look a certain way to be accepted. It really gets me worked up and it makes me feel so icky. I would so much rather just see a friend who's not putting effort in to look a certain way. I want to see the unedited photos. I want to see the facial expressions that are not a smile. You know, I mean, smiles are great. Don't get me wrong, but like not a forced smile. Like, let me just see your face as it is throughout as you're talking, as you're going through your day. You know what else gives me the ick factor is on platforms like TikTok, when somebody gets on camera and they say, excuse my look right now, I just got back from the gym. Excuse my look right now, I just blah, blah, blah. It takes me away from them and their message. It actually forces me or just moves me into thinking about their appearance when that's not why I'm watching their video. And in fact, most of the time, Before they say that about themselves, I'm just accepting them as the person that they are. I don't care that their hair is a mess. I don't care that they're not wearing makeup or however they perceive themselves to be in shambles. Like, I'm just accepting. Ironically, when they do point out that they don't look good, that makes me accept them less in a way because I feel icky. I feel pulled away from them because, as I've mentioned, I just want us all to just be and you know what? If somebody feels they're deep down who they are is connected to their appearance, like this is why I preface this before I got into all these feelings. If they love doing their hair, truly love it for themselves. Maybe they got the new Dyson hair wrap, which by the way, if you see my the YouTube version of this podcast or most of my content with me in it. I'm almost always wearing my hair up in a little bun because I just don't like spending time on my hair. I find my hair to be so like, it's just such a waste of my time. I will only do my hair in certain circumstances where I feel like I want to put effort into my appearance. But I will say, (laughs) there is something about how the Dyson Airwrap has been marketed that makes me want it so bad. And I think it costs like $500. The marketing is just brilliant. like They have done an outstanding job because people like me who normally could care less about my hair still (laughs) seem to want that thing. But I can only speak for myself. And that's what's kept me from getting one. I'm like, $500 is a lot of money that I could save for retirement. (laughs) So my retirement's more important to me than buying this hair product. But you know what? I still feel like one of these days I'm going to get one. Maybe it'll make me like doing my hair more. My I digress because my point is, if you love doing your hair, great. I would love to see your hair. If you love doing your makeup because you feel, I don't know even know what would make somebody deep down love doing their makeup. Maybe because it makes them feel creative. Like The accounts on TikTok where people do like, amazing face painting, like that stuff I think is so cool. Maybe they love the product, but I guess I hesitate even to understand how someone could really love doing their makeup because I've read so much about beauty standards and capitalism and just the patriarchy of all of this pressure for women to present themselves as a certain standard of beauty. I'm not even sure if someone who loves doing their makeup loves it because for a reason outside of needing external validation. Does that make sense? Like a great example would be of someone who I might believe on this (laughs) is Sunny from Vegan Beauty Review. And Sunny, if you're listening, I truly mean this, as I said, as no offense. But in the episode, I think we addressed this. We talked about age and we might have addressed like pressures to do makeup. When I see Sunny, I perceive her as someone who likes to do all of those things. But deep down, I will admit, I question why it is. Is it that, you know, I wonder about the roots of it. Like, let me put Sunny aside. Is it that somebody learned to love makeup because they felt like they were more valued when they were wearing it? That's my question. So Sunny, I invite you back on the show to talk about this, or I would love to talk about this with someone else. I would love actually. There's a number of women who have written phenomenal books or have great accounts about beauty myths and beauty standards and the history of it. I would love to have someone like that on the show because they could speak to this much more than I can in this moment. And it's just my current belief system of why can't we just love women regardless of how they paint their faces and do their hair? And why can't we like men regardless of how much hair they have? And Whatever else that they struggle with that women don't, it just, yeah, I have a lot of deep feelings about that. And I think the ick factor comes up because I feel sad. I feel sad that women in particular, given my close experience with that, that there's so much pressure to buy the right products so that you can feel like you look right, to spend all this time learning techniques of doing your makeup and your hair all this money to get your hair done. Like I get my hair cut maybe twice a year, but usually every nine months, I think, because it just doesn't matter to me. Like I wait until I get really bad split ends and then I go spend $100. I cannot imagine spending $100 a month on my hair. Now, again, nothing wrong with it. Although then even I pause there because I'm like nothing wrong means I don't want to judge the individual But the wrongness, perhaps if there is any, is the capitalism and the system and the patriarchy and all of the reasons that people feel pressured to do things like that, right? So I think that's an important distinction. It's not meant to shame any of the individuals. It's meant to question the societal pressure. And there are so many more things that I would like to do with my $100 than get my hair cut once a month. Because deep down, if somebody's going to judge me based on my hair... They're not my target audience. They're not gonna be a close friend. And you know what? Maybe my close friends do judge at me. They just don't tell me. So I guess uh, judgment can still happen but not affect you. I've gotten a lot of tangents. I've said a lot of things I wanted to say. There were a few things that I hadn't gotten to. One of them was I referenced the book, It's okay that you're not okay. And I guess that could be a whole another. Episode because that book is so good. That book is very similar to how I feel about Celeste Headley's book, our books, plural. Megan Devine, I believe, is how you pronounce the author's name. And that book is about grief and loss. And the title of it, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand. And so the book touches upon a lot of cultural beliefs and systems and storylines. And I took a ton of notes to integrate into this episode. So I will make this a part two. If I hear from at least one listener that they would like to hear it, (laughs) maybe I'll do it anyways. But I'm encouraging you really absolutely means the world to me when I hear from you because I want to know what you agree and disagree on. I want to know what I haven't said that you feel icky about. I want to know, did this episode make you feel icky? It might have. And that's the thing, like as much as I don't want everyone, want anyone to feel icky, sometimes ickiness is important. And this is something I think that Megan touches upon in that book. It's like, she talks about how we're a culture that loves to solve problems. And one of the things that manifests for me is I feel like ickiness is a problem that I want to solve, right? But sometimes it's actually very important for us to feel these things to get through them. And it doesn't mean that it's a problem. It's just a feeling and it's in the present moment. And it's okay if someone listens to this podcast episode and doesn't feel good about the things that I say. No matter how hard I try, I will say things that make somebody else feel bad. And gosh, I wish that wasn't true. I have so much empathy that I wish I could make everyone feel good all the time, but I've learned to accept that I can't. And that's circling back to all the things I've shared today. I don't think anyone did any of the things that I shared, wrote them, posted about them, marketed themselves in these ways intentionally to make someone like me feel icky. And I don't think it was in disregard of my ickiness. I don't think they're, you know, people that don't care, right? Maybe they would change if they heard my feelings. I don't know. But I also recognize that it's not my responsibility to make them change. I can have these feelings and just decide it's not for me. And so that's why I want to hear from you is because I want to hear what's not for you. What is for you? And not in the context of the show, although I've been working behind the scenes on making a survey, as I think I've mentioned verbally, I've definitely mentioned it in the newsletter that I really want to get a better sense of you, the listener, because In an ideal world, I would know every single listener that listens to the show because I'm just curious about who you are. I want to know what you want to hear more of and less of. And also remember that your preferences may be different from mine. Anyways, you can email me in between now or in addition to taking the survey when it comes out. I want to incentivize you. So that's part of why I've been holding off is I always like taking surveys when either there's a giveaway or like I get a gift card or something. So sneak peek, there is a financial incentive that I've been working on for all the listeners who will take the time to give me some feedback and to share more about themselves. And if you email me, actually, I'm going to incentivize you right now. If you send me an email in response to this and you are kind and considerate with your words and intentional about what you're saying and keeping in mind that we are here to have a dialogue, not to get into a fight. I'm not a big fan of debating, but I do like hearing different perspectives. So if you'd like to share that with me, I would love to hear from you. And I have a financial related incentive for you. Might as well share. I think I've mentioned on the show that I am on this platform called Rally, which is a cryptocurrency related platform. And it is, in my opinion, part of the future. I could geek out about this and I plan to bring on a guest very soon that can help share more about this. And just to quickly summarize, Rally is kind of like a cryptocurrency version of Patreon, which you may be familiar with, but much better, in my opinion, because on Rally, you can acquire coins cryptocurrency coins, right, that support people like myself. And they could be content creators, public figures, all different people online. You're going to hear more and more of this because this is a huge part of the creator economy, as they call it. And I'm on this platform. I have a coin called the WellCoin. When you acquire it, it not only supports me, but it actually builds an economy within itself because the more people that own this coin, They actually get rewarded financially. It's so cool. And it's right now, last I checked, like 20 something cents to get a coin. And every single week, there is an opportunity to get these financial rewards for it. It probably sounds a lot more complicated. That's why I haven't talked about it that much because I'm trying to simplify the way I share. The reason I bring it up is that is the easiest and most exciting way for me to incentivize you. If you send me an email, I will offer you some of this WellCoin on Rally for free. And it's super simple to sign up for Rally. You just create an account. And once you do, I'll send you the coin and you'll have free money from free cryptocurrency that you can either hold on to, hopefully increase in value or sell and put into your bank account. And if you haven't done any cryptocurrency experimenting, this could be a great intro to it. If it sounds shady to you, I can point you in the direction of many great articles. If you actually go to rally.io, they have a ton of great resources to help you learn. And they are an amazing company. So, yep, that's the long story of what I would like to do. If you're not interested, it doesn't matter. You can email me anyway, so you don't have to take the coin. And if you would really like a financial incentive outside of Rally, I'll see what I can do, especially for the survey. So maybe I don't even have to incentivize you. I just like to put it out there because I know I like to get incentives. And I got some free rally coin from people months ago when I first joined the platform and they grew in so much value. One person on that platform gave me a free coin. I don't remember, maybe it was worth like $9 or something. And last I checked, it was like $15 or $25. I got it completely for free and I just held on to it. And that's the really cool thing about cryptocurrency. So... I hope that that would happen to you if I give you some of my coin. Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. This episode has simultaneously to me felt disjointed, but also I made some points that I felt excited to share. I hope you found some value in it. As I mentioned, I would like to do another episode and talk about all the great points that Megan made in her book. I may even go the extra mile and invite her on the show. Not sure if she would say yes, but she is awesome. If Celeste Headley said yes, I could probably get Megan on. <laughs> I always kind of like self-doubt myself with getting certain guests on because I think they're so amazing. I'm like, why would they come on this show? But I am so proud of the show. It has grown exponentially in the past few months and I'm so grateful. So if you're one of those new listeners, thank you for being here. If you've been along the whole journey, thank you for being here. If you're somewhere in between, thank you for being here. I'm deeply grateful for you. I really hope to hear from you. Again, you can find all the different ways to contact me. You can find the full transcript from this episode, the video, eventually when it goes up on YouTube, everything is available easily to you at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. In the podcast section, you can search for episodes. So You could type in icky. It'll probably have the phrase ick factor in the title, but it'll definitely be one of the few episodes that comes up in search. So uh, go find this episode if you need any of the links. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with another episode with a guest on Friday. Who do we have coming up here? Ooh, I think this episode is with Corey, who talks about autism and ADHD. And wow, that is a really good episode that ties into some of the things I talked about today. So be sure to tune in for that. I have a bunch of guests lined up for you in the future. There are so many amazing guests in the past. You can find all of the past episodes and subscribe for future episodes on your podcast player or welllevator.com. All right, until then, wishing you all the very best with your life and navigating your own ick factor.